Praise God. It's good to be here. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Praise God. We had a terrific time here Friday evening, didn't we? Oh, the Spirit of the Lord came down. Four-hour service we had. Now, a lot of people think that four-hour service, that a four-hour service would be a long one. I had a lot of people tell me this morning, said, uh, I wish we could have kept going. It seemed so short. But uh, we had two, two messages uh, preached, one for communion and one a regular message. We had six special songs sung. We took communion. We saw slides. We had a baptismal service. And we just did everything, didn't we? Praise God. All right, Ezekiel 33. We want to talk about some ethical instructions given concerning those in responsible positions. And I want to preach on the subject. They heard the sound, but took not the warning. They heard the sound, but took not the warning. Ezekiel 33 Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning... If the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, the people be not warned. If the sword come and take away or take uh, any person from among them, he is taken Away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Praise God. You may be seated. As I have stated, I want to preach on the subject. They heard the sound but took not the warning. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I brought to you in a message some statistics relative to our country and some of the things that are happening in our country. And I stated in this particular message that I believe this must be more than a casual concern that we have. It must become a burden of each individual's heart to see our nation turned around and not only our nation turned around but also the hearts of people throughout the world turned around I believe that Jesus is soon to come and I believe that according to the Matthew 25 parable of the wise and foolish virgins at midnight there was a cry made that the bridegroom is to come behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him and I believe that it is the paramount uh, issue of the church to preach the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ will come back to this world in the very near future. And I believe that he will come back to gather his church home just as he stated in his word that he would do. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Now he said, if this were not true... He said, I would not tell you these things. But Jesus Christ is coming back to this world very, very soon. Now, we hear a lot about the problems that we're having, not only in America, but throughout the world. But there are very few people that are responding in a positive way to do anything about it. I brought to your attention uh, statistics concerning alcoholic beverages and how many people die in car wrecks. And, of course, uh, as we stated, one out of each four uh, persons involved 
in driving over the holidays was no doubt drunk or his alcoholic blood level was was uh, higher than what the law would require or allow him rather to drive with. Uh, <clears throat> when the people were polled concerning this condition, they overwhelmingly said that this is uh, not right, that people should not be drinking this way. But nevertheless, they go right ahead anyway, and it seems like nobody will do anything about it. Now, <clears throat> I recently picked up some statistics on uh, the violence of of uh, television, and I just want to read something to you here, and uh, let you listen to this for a moment, and digest it before we go further into the Word of the Lord. Now, this particular poll that was taken says that two out of three Americans believe there is a relationship between violence shown on television programs and the nation's high crime rate, according to a recent Gallup poll. This survey finding parallels the conclusion of the National Institute of Mental Health, which recently reported findings overwhelmingly uh, in the positive as far as evidence is concerned that violence on TV leads to aggressive behavior among children and teenagers. So what they're saying is that there is a definite link between the action of the kids on the streets and television programs. Now... Although parents of, of school-aged children and non-parents share that the view that television program featuring gunplay, fist fights, and like induce criminal behavior, they reject a proposal for taking this type of program off the air. So uh, <clears throat> this is what we're dealing with. In other words, we, we, we understand that, hey, we got a major problem here, that we're programming the minds of, of our children uh, to be criminals, and we're sitting back and we're complaining about it. But the people who have the voting power and the voting rights and such agree that nothing should be done about it. Now, I'm preaching a message tonight, and the title of my message that I'm preaching tonight is Morality Dictates Theology. A man's morality dictates his theology. Now, what happens is that uh, quite often we recognize things are, are wrong, but we're not willing to do anything about it. Just absolutely not willing to do anything about it. Now, we want to stop there just for a moment. And I want to go into uh, something in the scripture that I feel that we need to take a careful look at. It, Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm going to get in some areas this morning in my message that angels dare to tread. So, <clears throat> I will probably walk on some toes, and some of you will not feel as good about Pastor Grant as you did before you came. <clears throat> Pastors have to do this. I know every now and then I have to take action in my household, and I know when I do... That my children will not feel as good about me after I take the action as I did before. But nevertheless, in the long run, they appreciate me. And this is what you have to do as a pastor. If you don't have a backbone, you ought not be a pastor. You know? And it's not that pastors just excel to be tough, but this is just something you have to do. Exodus 20. Now verse uh, 1 says... And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the household of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, unto upon the children, rather, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, <clears throat> this particular scripture is dealing with the transfer of influence from one generation to the next. Now, it's hard for us to understand exactly uh, how much influence that one couple can have on generations to come. 
Now, the national average of a family now is uh, almost five. It's uh, 4.8 members in a family. A few years ago, there was considerably more. The average household had uh, four children. Now, years before that, it was up to about seven. Uh, But we have been more conscious concerning uh, childbirth in recent generations than we have in the past. But nevertheless, we are presently living uh, in a society in which the average family... Now, when we say the average family, we're not talking about the average family that is being produced now. But of all Americans, the average is about four, that is, four children. That makes six people in a family. That considers all the old-timers that are living and all their brothers and sisters and such that were born. We're not talking about those that have died and uh, uh, left this earth, but we're talking about the number of children born into uh, every household that's represented on the earth. Now, to show you how this works, uh, you take one couple, if they have four children... Then, uh, if those four children marry, you've got eight people. Now, if those eight people, each one of them, if they have four children, then you have escalated this society out to 32. And then from that, you go to 128, 512. So in four generations, you have a total of 520 people produced. That simply means then, from the beginning of this until the end, you have 682 people that are represented. Now, four generations, or five generations, whether we're dealing with here, seems like a long span of time. Well, it is as far as we're concerned, each individual, because life just doesn't last that long. See? Life does not last that long. And uh, so as a result, uh, we do not live to see all of this. But uh, we do see what has been produced as far as the past is concerned. We see what has, has been produced. So we're, we live in an, an escalating type of, of situation that we have on the face of the earth. There are a lot of things that, that are happening in our American society that we do not understand. But we certainly see the results of it. Now let me go into something here that is a very, very touchy thing. And when I go into it, some of you will have regrets, and some of you will have sorrows, and some of you will be happy. But nevertheless, I feel in order to to prove what I need to prove here this morning, I need to talk about this. Now, from June 1979 to June 1980, here in the States, we experienced 1.18 million divorces. Now, that's a lot of divorces, if you think about it. That's in a one-year period of time. The average American marriage lasts only 6.6 years. 6.6 years. Now, when we take a look at this, we understand that one reason why there are a lot of divorces is because that uh, out of our 50 states, 49 states now have ratified the no-fault Divorce simply means you can go down and just tell the judge you want a divorce, and they write it out. And they don't ask any questions. The no-fault divorce simply means they cannot or will not write or ask for an excuse. There was a time in which you had to give a valid excuse. You just couldn't go down and say, well, I don't like this nag I'm living with. You couldn't do that. But now you can do that now. In fact, you don't even have to, to use the term nag. You can just go down and say, We want out of this. And so you get out of it. Now, one out of every four Americans now is living in a broken home. Now, I want to point out something here. And this is something that that, uh, I must say, I have very strong convictions in this area. This has nothing to do with prejudices and such in which some people would like to label it. It's only good common horse sense. And I told the young people up in in uh, uh, Green Lake, you know what horse sense is? That's stable thinking. Amen. Now, so this this has nothing to do with anything but just good common horse sense. It just makes sense. 
Now, do you know the reason why that God established the family? Uh, do you know the reason why that, that God gave me the authority to teach in my home? Do you have any idea? you know why my wife is a teacher in the home? you know why she should be a teacher in the home? Because that child is given to us in divine stewardship. Now, you are to teach the way of the Lord to that child. But separate and apart from teaching the way of the Lord to that child, you're to teach that child other things also. If it's a lady, a child, a, a girl, you've got to teach that child how to make beds and, and wash dishes and sew and iron and make uh, apples and uh, apple pie and chocolate cake. And, and uh, you've you got to teach that child all these things. Now, that's a very, very important thing. Now, one thing that we do not stress in America that I feel should be stressed when you go choose, if you're a young man and you go choose a wife, you should choose a mate for life. And you should choose someone that's compatible to the lifestyle of your own household. Now, if you don't do that, friend, you're going to have problems. Because when you marry that girl only for looks and for physical expression, you are bringing into your life more heartache and trouble than you are pleasure and joy. Now one problem we have here in the States is that we have a conglomerate of cultures. There are people from all over the world come here and they make this their haven. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. But I do disagree in the fact that we have very little instruction going forth in the home concerning who you should marry, who you should date, who you should uh, consider as a, a partner for life. Now, just to give you an example here, we got a very lovely couple here in uh, Sonny and, and uh, Diane Hahn. We want them to stand, okay? <clears throat> We're going to make a spectacle out of them just for a moment. Now, <clears throat> okay. Now, let's just assume that that Sonny is wanting to marry Diane. Now, Diane came from a household, let's make this assumption, where uh, things were structured and things were strong and Daddy was a leader and and, uh, Mother uh, followed uh, his leadership and she loved uh, uh, her father with all of her heart and and, uh, Mother loved uh, her husband and they had peace and they had harmony, they had tranquility, everything was fine. But dad was a leader. Let's assume that Sonny comes from a home where it's not that way. Let's, let's say that he comes from a home in which uh, mother is, is the leader. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> she's the strong voice of authority. Dad's kind of the uh, henpecked uh, guy, you know, that uh, uh, jumps around every time mom speaks. And uh, so uh, he didn't take the time to teach his his son, uh, strong uh, traits and character and such and, and uh, how to be the, the, the leader. Now, when we talk about leader, uh, this is a word that sometimes turns people off because when they think of leaders, quite often, they think of people who are dictators. That's not what we're talking about. Get that out of your mind. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that at all. But nevertheless, this was the situation. Now, he chooses Diane to be his wife. Okay, they get married. Now, who's going to be the leader in the household? Because Diane's father was the leader in her household, she's assuming that Sonny's going to be the leader. But because Sonny's mom was the leader in his household, he's assuming that his wife's to be the leader. So, consequently, you have a house without a leader. Yeah, you may be seated. We'll pick on somebody else for the next one. <laughs> so, you have a household without a leader. Now, there is no cooperate institution that can exist without leadership. And if children are born in that home where there is no leader, you have a group of offsprings that go out into society that are confused indeed. Why? Because they never got the proper instruction. They never got the proper training. Why? Because nobody took the time to train them. Because nobody knew whose responsibility was whose. Now that's a very, very important thing. 
Now, we're going to pick on another couple here, okay? Now, here's a great couple, okay? We want them to stand, the dolls, okay? Now, Steve Dahl comes from a household in which Dad was a leader. He taught him to be a leader, to work hard with his hands, to carry responsibility, to make decisions. So he is masculine, strong, and decisive, okay? Now, Debbie... Bless your heart. You just had to fall in this role today. <clears throat> now, she comes from a household exactly like Sonny came from. Mom is a leader. Mom is strong. Mom makes the decisions. Mom tells Dad what to do. Mom says what we're going to buy and what we're going to purchase and how we're going to do it. She figures the budget and keeps the books and everything. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if that's the man's idea. See? Okay. Now, they get married. Now, he assumes that he's going to be the leader of the household. She assumes that he's not. Why? Because in their household, it was never done that way. So, when they get married, what's going to happen? Friend, they're going to butt heads like two billy goats. They're going to have problems like you never dreamed. Okay, you may be seated. He says, thank you. <laughs> now, I, I trust that you understand what we're aiming at. Now, even sometimes in households where, where the two households where father is strong, father is precisive, he's decisive rather, where father is masculine, where he's the leader, where mother is an instructor to the children, where she teaches the daughters and the boys alike how to be masculine, how to be, how to be feminine. That is, the girls to be feminine and men to be masculine, strong, and such. When, when those two couples, uh, or that, those two people come together where they have different cultural backgrounds, you still have problems. Because you see, there's more taught in that home than just basic theology. The culture is ingrained in them. Now let me point out something that I think is very, very, very important for you to understand. You know, just because you get in the church and just because that you have the Holy Ghost does not eliminate all of your future training before you come in. And the Holy Ghost was never designed to be a quick solution to dissolve all problems. I say a quick solution. Now this is important that you understand. Now, for an example, I'm just going to point out something here that, that uh, and most of you will know uh, who I'm talking about. Uh, I knew of a young man who left his household, and uh, uh, he went uh, down south. And uh, he, he fell in love with a, a rich girl. Now, this happened to be my son, uh, John. Through my uh, father-in-law's death and John being down there with his mother and assisting him and this, her in this uh, very uh, needed hour, uh, he needed employment, so he started to work with my brother-in-law. Well, they started to go into this apostolic church, powerful, strong church. But uh, John fell in love with a, a girl down there. And this girl was from a wealthy home. Now, she was a, a wealthy girl. And she was a good Christian girl. I mean, she really did love God. There is no question about it. She loved God. She loved God as much as John loved God. And so there was a point of compatibility in the fact that they both loved God. But uh, John would call me and seek my advice. And uh, he would tell me things that, that disturbed me. And I'd go to the Lord in prayer. Well, he didn't know, and I've never told him to this day, but... But uh, Mom and I spent a lot of time fasting and praying. I've had uh, people come up to me and say, Oh, uh, your son is engaged to this uh, rich girl. Boy, he's going to have it made. That disturbed me. <clears throat> because I, I didn't really feel that he would. Uh, you see, we're not rich people. And John could take his whole paycheck and go buy her a gift and bring it in. Well, that was nothing to her. Just uh, so uh, 
You spend $175 on this gift. Well, mom and dad do this every day. You know, what's this? Now, you may say, oh, it's not the, the gift, it's a thought. But now, if you only got a pair of socks for Christmas, you'd be, you'd be hurt, wouldn't you? You know, it, it, it's more to it than just a thought. <coughs> because if that's all there was to it, we wouldn't be spending all this extravagant uh, funds that we do. There's more to it than just a thought. You know, you're kidding yourself when you say that, oh, just a thought. There's more to it than that. But, you see, she was not impressed by all this. So he called me up, and, and uh, he was just thoroughly frustrated. Now, my son did the wisest thing that he could possibly do. He sat down, and he analyzed this and said, I love this girl, but we're not compatible. And I, I helped him make this decision. And so he just talked it over with her and said, Look, uh, we love each other. And and uh, we have wanted to get married, but uh, we're just not compatible. See, my son can go out and get a job and put her in the type of home that she... Her, you see, her level of living was so much greater than ours. You know, there, there's just no way it would work. You know, he'd take his $300 paycheck and try to rent an apartment that she'd be happy in. Why? You're kidding yourself. Is that a fault of hers? No. That's no fault of hers. Now, that, that's the society. That's the echelon of living that she came from. Well, no fault at all. They were good Christians. I'm not saying this to, to, to tell you that, that she was at fault. That's, just the, that's the level of living that she, she was on. And her father, which happens to be as fine a Christian gentleman as I've ever met in my life. I mean, he works hard for the church. He loves God. He pursues righteousness. He teaches it to his children. There was just no compatibility. It was just that way. And so when when John called off his engagement with this girl, uh, they still saw each other at church. They rode to church together because uh, uh, her parents picked John up for church. And, and uh, But uh, we're just going to drop this. We're not compatible. Now, <clears throat> John returned home. After seeking the Lord, and uh, he's married a girl in our church uh, who was a very lovely girl, Lori Mann. Uh, even then, he sought my advice, and, and Brother and Sister Manley were praying, are, are, are these children compatible enough? I mean, is their culture, is their lifestyle compatible enough? Now, <clears throat> I'm trying to point out something in a very spiritual sense here that you need to understand. We're going to turn this more toward the spiritual than the physical. You see, when Abraham sought a bride for his son Isaac, where did he go? He went back to his household to get, get a bride. Now, why did he go back to his household to get a bride? Now, some people say, because that's where all the righteous people are. You're kidding, friend. He came out of a home of idolatry. And God would not even allow Abraham's father, Terah, to go into the promised land with him. Why? Because he was a maker of idol gods. That's what kind of a society he came out of. But you see, at this point in time, Abraham was called by God out of Ur to go over to the promised land. And he was a righteous man. But there weren't any righteous people around. And so, when he considered who his daughter who his son should marry, he said, well, there's no righteous girls around. So he couldn't marry a righteous girl. So we will go back to my father's household and we will choose a bride for her or for him. Now, why did he do that? Because there's a point of compatibility. Their cultures were the same. You see, now, <clears throat> Sister Grant and I have had a very happy marriage. But just last evening, after we got home, we had a little dispute. She's not in here. Don't let her come in, okay? And uh, it wasn't much, but it was enough to irritate me. 
See? And so, uh, all, all I said was, well, I'm not going to tell you what I said. <laughs> but anyway, she says, well, that's the way your mom always did it. And I said, well, yeah, that's, you're, you're right. But you see, the reason why you're doing this, because this is the way your mom always did. Now, your mother never stressed emphasis on this particular thing that I'm asking you to do. You know, it wasn't much. It just, some little something around the house has been bugging me for months, see. And every time I go by, I see it, and it's not done. Well, I, I know I could go do it, but if I went and did it, then she she wouldn't feel right about it. She'd feel that, uh, uh, you know, it's it's her responsibility. She, she would feel hurt if I did it. It's, it but, but see, she doesn't place emphasis on this because her mother didn't. It, does that mean her mother's wrong? Well, absolutely not. That doesn't mean her mother's wrong, but it just simply means that there's a point of compatibility there in which we have not yet come to. Now, now all, you will never find a person in this world that you're completely compatible in all things with. You know, you'll never do that. So if you're looking for somebody who's perfect like you, you know, <clears throat> well, you're not going to find them, you know. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, you see, when I was growing up, some of the things that I dislike about my father the most, and I have not been in my father's household now, going on 24 years, but some of the things that I disliked about him the most, I find myself doing. And quite often I say, now why am I doing this? Because my dad and mom spent 20 years ingraining, teaching into me, pumping it into me, priming me, getting me ready for life. Now, after Isaac was, was married, what happened? When, when Jacob came along, where do you think Jacob went to get his wife? Back to the same culture in which he grew up in. Is that right? Now, you know that's right. Now, you see the thing about it, the Jews, when they divided the land, they divided the land into 12 different areas, one for each tribe of the, of the household of, of, of uh, Jacob. Now, did, did you know that, that they kept that land divided? And uh, when Jesus came along, Jesus was from what tribe? He was from the tribe of Judah. How do you know he was from the tribe of Judah? Because, you see, each one of those, each one of those men marrying women of different areas, they developed their own culture. And the Jews did not make a normal practice of going into another tribe and marrying. Why? Oh, there she is. Sister Grant, I sure love you. Isn't she a lovely woman? Let's give her a hand. Now, I personally feel the reason why that we have so many rotten, bad marriages in America is because there's no training in the home and there's no thought given to who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And friend, this doesn't have anything to do with whether you, you know, I've heard people say, oh, but we've, we just become one in Christ, you know, and everybody loves, we're all Americans. I've heard all of this. But friend, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you may live across the street from each other and still not have the same culture. You can become very incompatible to the person you sit by uh, in, in your classroom. Just because you were classmates, just because you were next door neighbors, does not mean that you're qualified for marriage. And the problem that we have here in our society is we give very little thought to the training of the person that we're going to marry. In other words, what kind of a household do they come out of? You know. Now, the country, the major country of the world that has the, the lowest divorce rate is India. Now, you got a lot of people in India. I hardly ever had a divorce. Now, why? Do you know that that the Indian boys, <laughs> they don't even choose their, their wife. They really don't. Now, Abraham chose a bride for Isaac. Now, when Jacob started choosing, <clears throat> well, he chose too many to start with. But he got in trouble, didn't he? Now, 
Now, I want, I want you to understand something. I am not saying that I would favor a system in America, a social system by which the fathers choose the bride for their their son. Now, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. I think we need to give more thought to it. See, you see, because there is a tremendous amount of influence that's passed from one person to the next. Here you've got a couple, and they take these, these, these two children, and they put all of their life. You see, education is not learn and not teaching. Education is the transfer of life from the living to the living. This is the reason why that if you send your child, let's say over to public school number one, and, and your child sits in a class where there's a humanist that's a teacher friend, your child is going to be a humanist. And you listen to what I'm saying, we're giving very little thought to this in our country. Why? Because that teacher has influence. That teacher is that child's teacher. And that child will take the philosophy of that teacher and it will become an integral part of his or her own life. And for you to subject your children that you are steward over to, to some humanist, you may say, are you saying, Pastor Grant, I should pull my children out of a public school? I think that you at least ought to know who's teaching them and what they believe. And I would say that if they do not concur with some of your philosophies, you ought to take them out. Yes, definitely. Because you see, that teacher is going to teach that child more than two plus two is four. And if that teacher has, if that teacher's moral foundation is 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 weak, and and that teacher's moral foundation is is uh, uh, corruptible, uh, then that child is going to take on that. Now. Let's say your child goes over to public school number one and, and the teacher there is a, let's say a 24-year-old lady or woman. And uh, she's never been married, but she's shacked up with somebody. And that's a common thing in America. And, and uh, so she's always talking about her boyfriend. And after a while, uh, here this uh, teacher is pregnant. And your child knows it. Now what in the world do you think when you think that that teacher and that lifestyle won't have an effect on that child? You've got to have rocks in your head if you think that won't have an effect on that child. See, you're transferring, that teacher's transferring her moral fiber. Education is the transfer of life from the living to the living. And one reason why that we have such a such a problem with marriage in America is that we've got it. In other words, we give very little thought to who our children marry and who teaches our children. And then we wonder how are we going to stop this? The average American American marriage lasts six point six years. 1.18 million Americans stood before the judge from June 1979 to June 1980 and were granted a divorce. And here we have 500,000 abortions taking place in America in one year's time. And then we say, what's wrong with us, America? Friend, we've left the lifestyle of the Bible. God never intended the heathens to educate our children. And then we have this idea, well, these are good people. Uh, they come from a good home. So, you know, if I can marry my child into a good home. Listen, friend, some of the worst, most rotten marriages ever took place came from two good families. I worked in Longview, Texas with a boy from India. He came to him and said, hey, I'm getting married next month. Next month? I said, I didn't even know you were dating. Oh, he said, uh, I wasn't. He said, my dad chose a, a wife for me. I said, your dad? Yeah. 
I said, boy, I couldn't stand for that. He said, what's wrong with that? I said, well, man, how does your dad know that, uh, that you'll love her? Oh, he says, I trust my dad's judgment. I'll love anybody he tells me to love. I said, you have got to be kidding. No, he said, uh, I'm serious. Uh, he said, uh, my mom and dad uh, uh, picked out my wife. I said, do you Yeah, slightly. He said, yeah. Not, not too much, though. I said, well, is she pretty? He said, well, she said, you know, in India, we don't give much thought to that. Because some of the most beautiful women in the world are witches. Richard, better than my dad. He said, it is a known fact that parents know their children better than the children know themselves. And I said, you mean to tell me that you're going to let them pull this on you? Oh, he said, I wouldn't have it any other way. I said, well, we don't do it that way in America. You know what he said? He said, it's quite evident. <laughs> now, here I was, a pastor of a church. And he said, did you know that India has the lowest divorce rate in the world? In, in major countries? I checked him out on that. And he's right. I said, you mean to tell me that you're just going to automatically accept this woman and you're going to love her? He said, love is a growing process. Uh, you see, when, when you're compatible in marriage, he said, you can love anybody. But he said, if you marry only for physical reasons and, and physical compatibility and good looks and everything, he said, the person you love, you'll end up hating. So, <clears throat> uh, my association with him was short-lived due to my pastoral life. Uh, took me elsewhere, but in the three years that I knew this man, uh, he married her, uh, they had a child, he was happy. I mean, just just happy. Uh, he told me many times, he says, oh, what a good woman I have. She just loves me and I love her. And, and Now, isn't that strange? Now, I am not advocating this. But what I'm saying is there's a tremendous amount of influence that goes into to that child. Now, we want to turn this to a spiritual sense. Do you know that that uh, I'm talking to children uh, almost on a daily basis. I talk to them downstairs. I talked to them uh, a couple of weeks ago. I went over security savings and talked to them and, and such. But uh, the truth of the matter is... Uh, as much as I like to talk to these children, I feel a deep dedication to address parents. Now, some of you are here, and you never committed your heart to the Lord. You send your children to our Sunday school. Now, quite frankly, uh, the best that we can do is implant in their mind a memory of what's right and what's wrong. But if you're not going to live right, you're having more influence over them than we are. Now, you may say... Well, you said before that teachers had more influence than parents. Did I say that? You see, the amount of time they spend in the public school is against you. You see, they spend eight hours for five days. You see, we spend one hour for one day. See, so your, your public school teachers then, see, they have them more than you have them. That's why they could be more influential than you. But you see, if you're a parent and you're not dedicated to God, you have more influence than we do. Why? Because you see, you do see them from the time they get home from school to the time they go to bed. And that's more than what we have over them, see. Now, I read the statement, they heard the sound, but took not warning. From Ezekiel 33. Please understand. That we all are seeing things around and about us. That we are living with and coping with. And this is always the way the devil works. In other words. He forces things upon us. In which we 
grow accustomed to. And once we grow accustomed to them, we don't give much thought to them from there on. So we just learn to live with it, you know, without giving any thought to it. And that's exactly what's happening, see, here in the world. I'm not just talking about in America. I'm talking about in the world. In the world. It is just amazing to me the number of things that have been been uh, pushed upon us in recent years that we just accept. Now, I remember years ago when I was growing up, uh, we didn't have a television in our home. My mother had strong convictions right away. She said, uh, uh, and of course that time, at that time television wasn't so bad. But uh, she said, no, we're not going to have a television at home. My, my dad was not a Christian man at that time. So I remember one time we went to the store and we looked at the TV. We were going to buy it. And so uh, <clears throat> my mother said, now, now, Emery, you're the head of the household. And I love you. She told her this right in front of a salesman. But now if you, take, if you bring that television to the household... I'm leaving. He said, what? She said, yeah, I'm just leaving. That's it. Well, he said, you married me to be the teacher of your children. Uh, you're going to let this television teach them? She said, no, I would not tolerate you bringing a woman in the house. And, and you're going to sit there and, and, and allow my son and you to, to lust after these women that come across there in his bathing suits and laying out in the shade, underneath the shade trees. You know, and all. Oh, he said, I guess I never thought about it. Well, the poor salesman just stood there, you know. He didn't know what to do. <laughs> she said, now, I cannot do my job uh, with that television in the home. Uh, she said, now, I agreed to come with you uh, because uh, I thought I could influence you not to, not to bring it. And she told me, she said, now... Emory, you're not living for the Lord, and I love you, and I appreciate you, and you're the head of the household. My dad was the head of the household. Sister Rutherford's here, and she can tell you, you know, my my dad, he's not he's not a dictator, but he's not afraid to make decisions. And when he knows something's right, then he just simply says, "Well, this is right." If he knows it's wrong, he says, "It's wrong." So we didn't get a television. But in view of the fact that that uh, our neighbors had it, and in view of the fact that I wasn't living for the Lord, I used to crawl across the fence and go out to the neighbor's house and uh, watch television. Now, my mom didn't know why I was going out there. She thought Joe Doyle and I were good buddies. Charlie knows Joe Doyle. So I'd stay out there, and, and I did a tremendous amount of work over at the neighbor's house. You know how kids are. They do more at your neighbor's house than they do at your house. So I did a lot of work out there. But I remember watching Ed Sullivan show one time, and uh, they had Elvis Presley on. And uh, on the Ed Sullivan show, when they had Elvis Presley on there, and he was doing all this jigging around, they blocked him off from here down. They wouldn't show. You remember that? That must have been uh, about 1956, 57. They blocked him out, wouldn't show it. Now, the reason why this comes to my mind, because we were watching... Uh, slides, viewing slides for our banquet over at uh, Don and Peggy's. And Don just had a big stack of slides and he put some in there. And of course, he, before he came to the Lord, he was taking pictures over to Coliseum of Elvis. And uh, here Elvis was out there jigging, you know. Now, isn't it, isn't it strange that, that the conscience of the Americans and the conscience even of the network says, block him off. That's repulsive. That's not good. That's vulgar. 20 years later, less than 20 years later, or, or 20 years later, rather, uh, he's, uh, he's got uh, worldwide campaigns where, where people are going start raving crazy over his shaky hips. You see, I, I'm, I'm trying to show you how the, the devil puts constant pressure, constant pressure. Constant. Now, all the devil has to do you see, there is an influence of evil in, in this world. It, it came into this world as a result of Eve being beguiled by, by Satan. And it has been introduced in this world. 
and, and all the devil has to do is take one generation and let that generation love it. And while the masterminds of ABC and CBS and, and NBC says, we're going to block out his repulsive hips and, and we're not going to have him, him uh, out on the stage out here wiggling and doing all of this uh, uh, stuff that, that uh, looks vulgar. Uh, we were allowing our children to listen to him on the radio and, and, uh, why? You know, I, you went to high school and all the cars, you know, and Elvis Presley was saying, love me tender, love me true, you know. And then what happened was the, the, the parents were saying, well, he sings Christian songs too, you know. Uh, boy, you know, as, as much as he does wrong, uh, He's got a real voice for, for uh, some of the old hymns. So he sung some of the old hymns. And, uh, well, after a while, see, what happened was that the older people kind of rejected, but, but we allowed our children to accept this. See, here it was. Here it was. And we didn't have enough watchmen in the pulpits who were standing up and saying, Hey, folks! You better watch your children. You better take notice to what they're listening to. Now, every now and then, even some of the Christian songs that sound, you know, they got Christian words to them that sound real rocky. I'll come in my house and my son's got one playing. Listen, I just go crazy. I overemphasize. Son. What in the world are you listening to? He said, well, just a Christian record. Doesn't sound Christian to me, son. Man, let me see if I can hear the words. Man, I can't even hear the name of Jesus mentioned at all. You know, and listen to all, I just go wild. Just, you know, oh, son, you can't listen to that. Man, let's break that thing. We don't want the devil in this household. Let me see that jacket anyway. Now, I can tell you this. Now, this may, this may hurt some of your feelings, but you can look at the jacket of the record and tell the content of it most of the time. The wilder it gets, the bushier and the wilder the guys look. And the more wicked that the girls look. You're not going to bless my soul by playing a Christian record if you showed me the jacket and the woman on there looks like a Jezebel. You think I'm going to sit down and enjoy that? Somebody says, oh, but but uh, Reba, Reba baby. I guess that's Reba Rambo. Said, uh, you know, she came out of a, a Christian apostolic home. I don't care what she came out of. It's evident she came out of it. <clears throat> really? And, and then I'm supposed to sit down there and, you know, she's got green eyes. Am I stepping on your toes? And I'm supposed to listen to all this stuff and enjoy it? Now all she'd have to do is just get her a blanket. It would fly about this high off the ground and a broom. And friend, she'd be a witch for sure. I mean, she wouldn't have to change her or the way she dresses. And a lot of people say, oh, but Brother Grant, now you're placing emphasis on dress. You're meddling. You know, I've been accused of meddling. People said, now, now you're, you stop preaching, you started meddling. That's all right, I'm going to meddle. That doesn't bother me at all. Now, listen, there, there's nobody that can tell me, friend, what you think in your heart and how you are determines how you dress and how you look. You see, and what we were doing, we were telling, we were telling the whole world, we said, oh, it doesn't make any difference how you dress or how you, it's what you got in your heart. And we told our children that, and after a while, we didn't, the children didn't have anything in their heart, and so they were, they were walking the streets and, and uh, letting their, their hair grow long, and, and, and we, you know, we had guys that were wearing necklaces and, and earrings, and you'd be so, oh, we, you know, uh, I'm here, but a pastor, and I, I, I wear a necklace and I wear an earring. If you're a guy, you know what you ought to do? You ought to just rip that out and go to the doctor and have that hole sewed up or something. 
I can't feature in my, there's no way I can feature that guy would wear an earring. I mean, punch a hole in his ear and put something through it? Now, that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Now, why would a guy want to do something like that? And then somebody says, but you don't understand. <laughs> I know what I understand. I know one thing, friend, that this world is full of homosexuals and, and gays and lesbians. And, 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 and people are telling us, oh, that, that's just a, 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 we've got to learn as mature people to accept these particular lifestyles. Here's one watchman that's going to stand up to tell you the Bible says as it were in the days of Solomon Gabor, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus Christ is coming back to this world again. And friend, if we're going to be rapture ready, we're going to have to give thought to some of these issues. Praise God. We need to empty our hearts out. Like we would empty out a canister of garbage and pray and seek God and get a hold of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, we're allowing this, this dangerous venom to be transferred from our uh, acceptable standards into the hearts of children. That are waxing cold and cold against God. Just like the last days have been proclaimed in the Bible. The love of many shall wax cold. Why? Because iniquity shall abound. Praise God. And we're, we're allowing this. Oh, listen. If there ever has been a day or an hour in which we need to lay on our face and pray about our children and pray about our own soul. We need to do it now. We need to get clean inside and we need to give thought to some of these things. Praise God. Just as if you cannot go out and just marry someone, even if they have the Holy Ghost, and bring them in your household and think there's going to be peace and harmony. Why? Because that mother taught that child. That mother trained that child. There will not be peace and harmony there for a while. There has to be a blending together of that nature, a blending together of ideas. Policies have to be said and such. It's also true that if your heart and your life is not right, you're going to transfer all of that into that child too. That child then goes out in the world and that child's had no training in, as, far as, uh, as far as work is concerned. That child's had no training as far as, as managing money is concerned. That child's had no training as far as rearing children is concerned. Now he's supposed to have his own household. He's going to be practicing on his wife and practicing on those children. And so by the time he gets his philosophy right, the children are already spoiled. They're confused. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. Praise God. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God. Just as one generation would have eight children or four children, they would marry Wives that make eight. Each one of those eight couples would have four children. They marry. Bring in, you double that when they marry. You see, if they're confused, they're wrapped up in iniquity and sin. You see, you see, God in all of His wisdom knew what He was talking about when He said, Now listen, you keep these commandments. Because if you don't keep these commandments, you're headed for trouble. Because the sin of their iniquity should be transferred to the third and to the fourth generation. You see, it's going to be transferred whether you want to transfer it or not. It's a principle of life. You can't get out of it. 
You can't take corn seed out and plant it and expect potatoes. You can't plant wheat and expect squash. You can't plant melons and expect oak trees. You see, one law of nature is when God created, He said they will produce after their kind. Now, the evolutionists say that's not true. I personally believe when God made Adam and Eve, they weren't cavemen. People said, oh, but, but we found evidence of people. They lived in caves and they were barbarous and, and uh, they were cannibals. and they ate. Well, that's true, but friend, all that came because of sin and darkness. Did you know that Adam was intelligent enough to name all the animals? Was he? Sure. And when Adam produced an offspring, he was to produce one after his kind. That's the law of nature. What you and your wife are (coughs) will be put into your children. The ever-spreading influence. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, We are epistles indeed, written upon the hearts of men. Your life is an open book to the world. If you think you don't have influence, you're mistaken. There's never been a man who didn't have influence. I want to bow your heads right now. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. Because it never changes. While CBS and ABC and NBC may change its standard. You never change. While the world seems to have nothing to go by. I thank you Lord. That you gave me. A good Christian mother. And a good church with a strong pastor that stayed with the Bible, that has endured the test of time. Hallelujah. 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 I just want you to listen to a scripture that I want to read here. Keep your head bowed. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Matthew 16, 2 says, He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the tide. God's given us so much knowledge, so much technology, technology part. We're smart enough to find the way to be saved. We don't have to fall easy prey to a devil 
that would like to see us go to hell. I feel that somebody would like to just come up here and kneel on either side of this pulpit and surrender their heart to the Lord. Who'd like to be the first one? The very first one who'd like to step out. Oh God, it's so good. Now we need somebody to come up here and pray with Donna. Praise God. Somebody else want to step out? A couple of your sisters come here and pray with Sherry. Now, we got a couple of people down here praying. I feel that somebody else would like to come. We have no music, no real strong, hard, emotional appeal. If God's talking to you, why don't you step out and come on? Could you do that right now? Praise God. Now some of you sisters come and pray with this lady right here. Would you do that? Praise God. Sister Debbie, you want to come over here? Sister Diane, would you come and pray with us? Praise God. Praise God. Now, do we have somebody else who would like to come and surrender their heart to God? Somebody else who would like to come and surrender their heart to God? Praise God. Perhaps you'd like to just turn and kneel right where you are this morning. Would you do that? Right, right where you are. Remember our choir practice at 5.45 and our service at 7 o'clock tonight. God bless you and give you a good day.